Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. It's Sam Bruce in the chair, joined as ever by Christy Doran. Uh, the rugby championship came to an end over the weekend, a fascinating end with uh, yet another quality double header on the Gold Coast. Um, Wallabies rounding out their campaign with a fourth straight win and second back-to-back win over Argentina in pretty comprehensive fashion, albeit with a little late fade-out, which we'll, we'll come to a little bit later. Christy, we've also got um, central centralisation. I'm sorry, uh, your article at the start of the week, uh, a bit of Guido law changes coming your way today as well. But we're going to kick it off with uh, the concluding game of the Rugby Championship, the, the best test of the year for mine. Um, I know we it hasn't been a... A Chockers uh, test calendar in some parts of the world. But, um, yeah, clear standout winner between the All Blacks and Springboks. Um, just a gripping 80 minutes of brutal physical, 80 minutes of test rugby, Christy. Um, and in the end, I don't think you could begrudge the Springboks the win. I thought they were the better side on the whole. Absolutely. When I think of a few of the tests that stand out this year, maybe England, France, um, in the Six Nations, I really enjoyed. Uh, similarly, France and Wales, that was a gripping test that, that's uh, a winner right at the death there. Um, but this, this box game, All Blacks test, off the back of a, a match where we all, um, and I say we all, I think even South Africans included, probably thought, is this really where we want Test Rugby to go? Just a, a match of forcing back, really, um, having shown very little running rugby at all. Uh, just a desire to put boot to ball, even inside the opposition 22 with, with Faf to Clerk box kicks. But this brought everything back, didn't it? It stripped it right back to what we love about rugby, which is, um, you know, many ways to skin a cat. And, and we saw um, a few mistakes. We saw one or two sublime tries. Uh, you know, that Artie Sevilla trial was just magical, wasn't it? We saw Bowden Barrett running to the line. But we saw a couple of pressure moments right at the end. Great decision-making from captaincies, a field goal. It had everything. And what a way to round out a rugby championship. And I think for Rugby Australia, this was a moment to go, hey, we've just played four double headers in a row. Um, you know, the, the one in Townsville a week earlier, I thought it was a real spectacle even, despite the fact that the match itself, it was gripping, but it might not have been rugby in the true sense that we'd love to see the, the game played. But what an, uh, an opportunity to showcast uh, four doubleheaders right across Queensland, a, you know, a year before Rugby Australia is going to say to the world, let us have the 2027 World Cup, we'll put on a show and it will be a show to remember. And I think that's probably the lasting legacy from this, this, this uh, tournament because we're not going to see another one like these for a long, long while because COVID has meant that it's really had to be played in the one country. Um, so I thought this was a really great spectacle to show the world. Yeah, shout out to Queensland as much as we begrudge them down here in New South Wales in lockdown, which uh, we're very near the end of now uh, in the final week of, um, I think we all looked up there and, and can really say that Queensland did a fantastic job in putting on these um, the four back-to-back weekends. Uh, of course, they have the NRL. Uh, conclusion of the NRL season going on at the same time, but um, yeah, certainly even with the the crowd reduction there on Saturday night at Seabus Super Stadium, the the place was humming and they were treated to, as we said, a gripping game of footy. Christy, um, the Springboks, how much do you think they had missed not playing um, both in Super Rugby, um, only a few games last year before the pandemic had started and then pulling out of the Tri-Nations last year? 
um, those Super Rugby this year. How much do you think they'd missed playing New Zealand and Australian opposition and and um, needing the time, I guess, to not to ease into the series, but to just um, recall what it takes to to play against the All Blacks, who they matched up with really well, and and against the Australians, who they struggled with in those first two games, particularly with the width that they played with. I know we're going to say the quarantine and, and biosecurity bubbles have come into that as well. But um, it looked like they took some time to adjust and, and just make the little subtle differences that you need, particularly coming off that series against the the Lions, as you mentioned, that were so one-dimensional. Um, they just needed time in the saddle. And, and finally, they got that and they really looked at their best in that final game on the weekend. Yeah, I, I don't really buy the quarantine. Uh, we're not you know, high-performance athletes, are we? But I don't really buy that because they'd played three matches against the British and Irish Lions. They'd played a couple against Argentina. They'd played against Georgia. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think you can use that as an excuse. Um, and, and maybe what it did show that if South Africa wants to ultimately join the Six Nations, that that might be to its detriment. We, we've, we've known for a long time, you look at the World Cup winners, only one of them from the North, yep. that being England in 2003, of course. So, in fact, Danzar is uh, very, very proud of it. They love to mention. Yeah, and I, I think that maybe just was a, a reminder to go, yeah, well, you, you do realise what you might be missing out on if you do go North. Um, I think that's perhaps the biggest thing that we saw. Um I don't think they would want to be getting locked into, into matches where you're up against particularly England, Wales, perhaps Ireland too, where they play that um, that style, which is heavily influenced by forwards, not as much running rugby because of the weather generally is conducive to playing a tighter game um, with, with more kicking. But I think what we also saw was Peter Steff de Toit's influence with him not being there um, we saw in the, in the first couple of games, um, South Africa turned to Franco Mostert um, to, to play the traditional blindside jersey, even though he was wearing the, the seven on the back. Um, yeah, no, Mostert's not, not nearly what the player of, of Peter Seftoid is, particularly he's, you know, he's an out-and-out loose forward as opposed to Mostert, who often ends up in the second row. So I think that at times they're a bit slow. The ball skills aren't as good. And obviously, you take out Cheslin Colby too for the entire tournament, um, and well, at least the last four matches anyway. And we we certainly saw South Africa just missing a, a few things. Um, uh, New, New Zealand, I still think you know we've got to remember that they beat them on their way to the World Cup final in, in 2019. Or Scott Johnson made a, a comment to when he first arrived in Australia in soil, saying that I think it would be the first World Cup where the winner could lose a, a match along the way. And indeed, that proved to be the case. I think it just shows that New Zealand still, you know, New Zealand, South Africa are neck and neck. Probably New Zealand are the best team in the world remaining. And that was shown throughout the rugby championship by just dropping the one game. And albeit that with a, a, maybe a dubious penalty right at the end and a couple of dubious penalties right at the end. But that shows how tight the two test nations are. Um, and the benefit of playing Australia, we know that South Africa have always traditionally struggled on Australian soil too. So you can't forget the, the three dominant powers down south. Cogger Smith, I thought, was was really, really strong in those, those final two tests. Um, as you mentioned, Franco Mostert had been preferred in that number seven jersey um, in the absence of, of Peter Steftatoy, who we've got to remember was the World Player of the Year in, in 2019. 
Um, so really a huge loss. And as you mentioned, Colby as well, is the real spark in that in that back line. But they did actually play more rugby, didn't they, in that, that yeah. final test? Sure, they, they stuck with, you know, box kick heavy game plan. Um, we know that's their bread and butter, that it works for them. But they're always also prepared to move the ball on the Gold Coast and, and scored a couple of good tries through it. Um, uh, Mpimpi's pass was was brilliant. Uh, sorry, Lekanyoam's pass was brilliant um, out the back. Um, the cosy um, there scoring the corner. Um, just, you know, well worked. Um, passages of play throughout that they were able to make a bit of yardage upfield, then go to the box kick and, and continue to, to put the pressure on the All Blacks under the high ball. Um, what about New Zealand, Christy? Uh, we know they've had, they were missing some players through the series, namely Richie Moanga and Aaron Smith for a, for a chunk. Also Sam Whitelock, um, Sam Kane's been out the whole year looking like he will make a return towards the end of the All Blacks spring tour now. Um, but they're able to bring some some players through too at the same time, weren't they? You know, that's um, Ian Foster's been keen on that. Um, you think of a guy like Ethan Blackadder, um, Asafo. Almua comes in, um, probably found wanting a, a little bit at line-out time um, in those closing two tests. Um, they got some game time into Brad Webber. We know that Aaron Smith is, is going to be the number one halfback through to the next World Cup. Um, more time in the saddle for David Havili at number 12. Um, Geordie Barrett looks like he's established himself at fullback. Um, but they missed out on that grand slam as they were referring to uh, the rugby championship as it was and also a chance at a perfect season, I guess, as well with, with five tests to come. Up north, um, where are they at? Do you think is, is Ian Foster? Is he happy with where he's he's got this team to at this point? Um, I guess on the journey to the next World Cup. Yeah, I'm going to get to that in a, in a moment, Sammy. I I I felt like I've lost over a couple of points with South Africa, and that is the first one being Rassi Erasmus. His influence, I think, was telling not being there. Yep. And it was great seeing that footage just appear on social media, where he seems like he's in his pajamas and he's jumping. Yeah, is how good uh, Lekker. Um, and, and in addition to that, um, Duan Vermeulen, he is a colossal beast, and I love watching him play. I think he's really stepped up on the weekend, didn't he? Oh, he does. He always does. Um, but another name that you mentioned, Ethan Blackadder, there, the, the son of Todd, obviously. But he, I think, is the most improved player in New Zealand rugby. Um, he's the sort of play that Australian rugby should be looking across and perhaps we saw some of those stepping stones with um, Pete Samu uh, and with Rob Balatini particularly about guys that can get into the system and then make improvements and I thought we saw that certainly with Rob Balatini but we're definitely seeing that with over the last 12 months with Ethan Blackadder because he's gone from being a well not a small loose forward but he's he's certainly bulked up He's, he's almost in the Steph de Toy mode, mold, yeah. isn't he, really? Yeah, yeah, he is. And he's he can play multiple positions in that back row. He's, he looks like a very, very competent player to bring off the bench. He's got poise. He's come through um, the Crusader system. I think it's I think it's exciting for him. And, and uh, what a name as well to have another black out of there. Um, Ian Foster will be thrilled and I wonder whether or not the backing of the board to give him the extra couple of years as well after that Bledisloe success, I think that might be more telling than people kind of think because it gives a bit more confidence, not just to him, but to the entire All Black squad to go, well, this is the coach. You better make sure that you continue to play at a performance, which is All Black standard, because otherwise, well, 
you know, you could slip in Ian Foster's rankings and he's going to be the man that ultimately decides whether or not you're going to be on the, on the plane to France. Um, but we've also seen a bit more continuity between the coaching staff. There was a fair bit of turnover there, of course, with, um, with the Hurricanes, um, John Plumtree coming through um, and, and taking on the forwards coaching role too. So that you can see some parallels, I think, with the Shane uh, setup too. They all look much more comfortable second year round. Um, first time, obviously, with, with Dave Rooney being uh, into his second year as an international coach. It's it's a marked step up. But I think also what guys like Michael Checker have spoken about in the past, as well as Eddie Jones, is when you get there, you don't have these guys every week or, or for 24 straight weeks, do you? You have them for smaller chunks where you either have to strip back your game plan or you have to focus on a couple of core areas and you need to rely on your super rugby provincial coaches to get to the standard of where you want them to play. So I think Ian Foster looks much more comfortable in his own skin this year and it's a good thing for New Zealand. It's an ominous warning. And on the you know now that we've got a spring tour coming up, it's an exciting proposition for both these two squads to see where are they at against the Northern Hemisphere sides. What do you think they lost by not getting uh, Richie Moanga another look uh, at the Springboks? We know Bowden Barrett had the opportunity to play both tests. Um, I think, you know, certainly you would say that Richie Moanga is still the preferred number 10 option there. It'll be interesting to see, you know, whether he comes back in for the first couple of tests of, of their spring tour. Um, we know there are two big games come at the end against uh, Ireland and then France to wrap up. I think that's really going to tell us who's in the box seat there and, for me, it's still Richie, but what did you see in Bowden's game in the last couple of weeks that perhaps showed a little bit more of, um, you know, getting back to that player where he was so dominant um, in those years following the uh, the 2015 World Cup after replacing uh, Dan Carter? Oh, I think you can take it back to the Blue Side 3. We, we saw that opening 20 minutes. New Zealand, and, and similarly to Richie Moanga the year before when he was at I think 10 and, and Bowden was at 15 in Sydney where there was an onslaught in the opening 20 minutes and they, they made, they punished the Wallabies at every opportunity. Bowden did that again in Perth um, with a sublime opening 20 minutes. You know, we had the, the, the grabber for Will Jordan to run on, yep. which was just execution to a T. Um, and we saw a similar uh, thing on the weekend where I thought Bowden actually played pretty well. Um, we saw him running to the line. I would say, you know, a little bit like Ian Foster in terms of, you know, the confidence of backing him in. I think we saw a bit of that with Bowden on the weekend where another week in the saddle where he's got the 10 jersey on his, on his back. Um, I, I, you know, having spoken to a number of Wallies around the 10 predicament that they have, they, they still view Bowden Barrett, and, and this is some of them former Wallabies too, they still view Bowden Barrett as the most lethal 10 in the world. And I think it's because of that knack of being there at the right time, at the right place. And we've seen that for so many years with Bowden Barrett. Um, Richie, of course, has had such a strong forward pack to at the Crusaders. Um, that he's allowed to, I think, show, maybe express himself a little bit more. Bowden was out of the limelight in Japan. Um, I, I, I also think some of the wording, the messaging coming out was also a bit of a deterrent to New Zealand players wanting to go overseas to have sabbaticals, to get more money, to go, hang on a moment, I actually don't think your form's as good. He's going to have to earn his spot back. 
I reckon there was a little bit of that going on to go, you just, you know, be careful if you do go overseas because you might lose your spot. Absolutely. It's a risk you, you run. And uh, certainly, uh, Bowden, um, I think everyone agreed, was a little bit slow, perhaps probably didn't come back, um, you know, as, as quickly as, you know, Michael Hooper did for the Wallabies. who just seemed to really settle back in um, the, the break. Uh, well, not the break, the, the stint in Japan had clearly done him some good. Um, Bowden perhaps put a little we, bit more what, time. What are we basing that on, Sam? We're basing that him coming off the bench, really, aren't we? Like Richie was given the 10 jersey. So, and all that messaging was coming before pretty much the series against the Bledisloe. Uh, the Bledisloe series. So I, I, I think you can believe a bit of it, but not necessarily all of it. And 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 maybe he was at fullback a little bit playing. I don't think it's his preferred position. I think he's said no that, no. that 10 is his preferred position. So, I, yeah, I, we know in that World Cup in 2019, Richie was wearing the 10 at, at times and Bowden was back at fullback. And you can't at, at times have two chefs in the kitchen South Africa have got the right model around that 10-15 setup where Willie LaRue, although he made a couple of mistakes on the weekend, he is, uh, I think, the perfect prototype for a fullback in the modern age, a guy that the Wallabies are probably trying to find because they haven't got the right mix or they didn't with Noah Lolisea, a really young 10 at the time for the first six matches of the year, um, with having a fullback who isn't a ball player either and, and it didn't, I don't think, work for the Wallabies and it didn't also work, I don't think, for New Zealand having Bowden and Richie at times at 10-15 too. Yeah, certainly one to watch over the next couple of years and and throughout the the All Black Spring Tour, no doubt. Uh, Chrissy, let's move on to the Wallabies then. Uh, finishing up their uh, rugby championship campaign with a 32-17 victory over Argentina. Um, now, really, you know, if we've, we're going to pull out the... Um, put the the Marcus pen on and so Marcus hat on and pull out the pen and, and look at their, their game. They really should have gone on with this um, a lot more than they did. And uh, I guess disappointing that the bench weren't able to not only come on and, and give them a lift in momentum, but almost take a, a bit of a backward step from, from where they were. Um, but the first half uh, really, really strong after, you know, finding their feet in the first 20. Um, again, it was the, you know, usual suspects, Doing the job, uh, Valentini with a break for, for Andrew Kellaway's first of three tries. Um, you know, Karevi. I thought the best bit of the, the best play perhaps all season was the the, the sweeping round the corner move that, that came um, from the backs to, to put Samu Karevi over. And uh, the little Quade Cooper double pump was just so perfectly timed. But the alignment as they swept around the corner and the skill execution. And I don't know whether I saw it, um, was it last week or, or this week on social media, the try that the Wallabies scored against... Um, Argentina, I think, in 2019 in Brisbane. Um, and it was a pretty dour affair and finished off by Reese Hodge stepping back inside after a Marika Corabetti break and passed to Kirtley. And just the, in terms of the, the, the difference in the execution of skills and the passing and um, what should have been a, a simple try once Corabetti had gone through into the backfield was actually made that much harder by the passing that followed. Um, and you compare that to the try on the weekend and and just the structure and the alignment and the timing um, was just absolute chalk and cheese. So that was that was a real moment for me. And, and I guess showed how far they'd come. But then you go into the second half and, you know, with the game in well and truly wrapped up and you really want them to to kick on and, and we keep talking and referring back to this ruthless edge that they're chasing, just didn't happen. 
Yeah, it's an interesting one because on that try, I think my favourite aspect of that was the the build-up to it. That's sixth phase. We've seen the Wallabies and Scott Wisemantle was the master at England with having tries from first phase um, and particularly inside the opening five minutes of, of matches. We saw a sixth phase tries there where they've gone from the, it was a, a well-executed line out. They looked threatening. They worked it to the left. They've worked back in the middle through Michael Hooper, another one with the forwards. And then, as you said, that delayed pass from Quaid was just, it was Quaid Cooper at his best. Divine, yeah. And, and once again, it probably showed the understated subtleties of Quaid Cooper, which we've always known that are there, but we saw some of the more um, razzle-dazzle with the with the cut up by a country mile from a from a 10. Um that on the back of the your point with the with the interchanges, I, I really think it was it came down to only one or two. Tom Wright had a really good injection off the bench, um, looked threatening, looked more confident out there. Um I thought the you know there were there were one or two, you know, Sean McMahon had a couple of good in touches. I just think that it, it came really from the, the halves going off. You know, Nick White as well as, as Quade Cooper. We saw James O'Connor have one or two where there was a um, – he found Darcy Swain when he didn't mean to find Darcy Swain. We saw um, Jake Gordon get penalised for shepherding on the way back um, with when James O'Connor took a high ball. There was just one or two small things from the halves that just didn't click and it meant that they didn't get the ball that they would usually be expecting. So, you know, Greg Holmes, I don't think – offered too much off the bench. He didn't have that real penetration that I think Tom, even Tom Robertson had a week earlier. Um, we didn't have Pete Samu coming off the bench. And I don't think Pete Samu had the best match either. Um, he was slow to the breakdown on one, opportunity, on, on one occasion inside the opening half an hour, which is exactly what Dave Rennie didn't want to see. Is the bench role just perfectly suited to how Pete Samu plays the game? He likes to kind of lurk in those those wider channels and perhaps that's not what the Wallabies need from the outset. But by coming on when there's a few more tired legs out there in that final, I don't know, 25, 20 minutes, um, he's, you know, we saw him run under a couple of great offloads from Samu Karevi. He can hang that little bit wider and sweat on those types of, of plays and passes and, I mean, is that just where he's best suited, that he is, you know, he is destined to be a bench player for the Wallabies? Well, you see it in all sorts of forms of sport, don't you? Guys that are interjected uh, when it's the opportunity moment, whether or not it be a, a T20 cricket match where you see a, a batsman promoted as they are big hitters or whatever they might be. Um, you see... Um, you, you see it in soccer even and in football with Tim Cahill in the past being interjected late and making that telling blow, that yep. telling difference. Um, I don't know why um, we've seen, we've seen, I, I feel like the reserves have still kind of got that ugly tag associated with it. The Crusaders set it up perfectly for the model to take forward. Pete Samu hardly ever started for the Crusaders, yet was a two-time Super Rugby champion and, and was thought of as this perfect player to bring off the bench. And he was for 30 minutes because he did exactly what he had done for those previous few matches. I think it is absolutely. Why would you go away from that? Um, he covers six, seven, eight. Is the perfect replacement. He doesn't have that explosive leg drive, powerful leg drive that Sean McMahon has. And let's be honest, he's probably not as quick on the ball as some players either. So, if there's an injury, sure, put him in the seven jersey. Um, 
but I don't think he's a starting international player. And sometimes you've just got to accept that. What about Christy, uh, the 10 jersey? And, and let's look ahead, I guess, to, to start with uh, at the Japan game uh, in three weeks' time um, in Oita there. Uh, where the Wallabies actually lost the quarterfinal to England uh, in uh, in comprehensive fashion. Uh, not a great day, that one for sure. I was there. Um, are you tempted to throw James back in for that game at, at number 10? Um, is it an opportunity to get Noah Lolasio another run? Um, I'm just talking about the All Blacks 10s and, and their, their headache there, a great headache to have. Um, I'm not sure it's a Wallabies headache at the moment. I think probably Quaid is, is the clear leader throughout for the rest of this year and, and next year and, and 2023 is going to be a different story clearly but um how do you think Dave Rennie and, and Scott Wisemantle for that matter will approach that that Japanese game yeah it's a great conundrum I, I almost think that they've got to go well, these are our three tenths don't they unless there's a severe injury to one of them these are our three tenths so how do we get all three of them in the best shape possible going forward to the World Cup which is two years away um Quade Cooper still, for me, hasn't broken the line as a 10. Um, hasn't really looked like breaking the line. He, he beat one player with a really nice left foot step on the weekend and probably challenged it more than he had in those few earlier games. Andrew Mertens has made a couple of good points in, in uh, Herald's articles over the last few weeks around Quade Cooper and one just on the weekend where he, he, he said, look, it's no, it's no certainty yet Quaid will be the 10 come 2023. It's a long time away. There's a lot more hype. People will quickly realise what he is. And at the moment, he's been really a distributor who's made excellent decision-making. Uh, but he's had the benefit of having Samu Karevi outside of him who's really been a trucking ball. We will see uh, going forward if Samu is not there, whether or not Quaid has that same influence. Um, but at the moment, it's no guarantee. So how do you get all three tens there? And I think that it is an opportunity to go James O'Connor, Noel Olaseo to, to play a Japanese match. I think it's the perfect opportunity. Um, but then again, it is also, if you don't play Quaid even off the bench, it's a long time between runs between this Argentinian match and the game against Scotland, which is no gimme. Scotland have improved, I think, in recent times, Gregor Townsend has a better idea about how he wants to play. He's got the yep. benefit of being Alliance attack coach, but he's also got Steve Candy, who's widely regarded as one of the better defensive coaches out there in the world, who seems like he's got a stronger tone of voice than what Matt Taylor was able to have at Scotland. I'm not saying that Matt Taylor doesn't have that because he's an excellent defensive coach, but their priorities was attack, 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 Scotland previously. It's not now shifted. Gregor was given an opportunity because they realised what was happening wasn't working. This is the Scottish board. So I would think that um, you might even play Quaid off the bench and maybe that doesn't allow Noah to have an opportunity, um, but you still have him right in the mix. He still goes on the spring tour. It's a great opportunity to soak up what 80,000 might be at Twickenham or indeed 50,000 at Murrayfield or what a Millennium Stadium in Cardiff looks like against Wales. So I don't think we need to rush that development just yet, um, but it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. But we still need to see a bit more from Quaid because although he's played the perfect role and perfect foil at the moment, um, I still do believe Eddie Jones made mention of that just two weeks ago. You need to have that running threat, that three-pronged threat, 
And that's what Scott Wisemantle and Dave Rennie are all about with their inside backs, particularly. Uh, we've heard it a lot over the last 18 months, being able to put the ball in behind. And it's not necessarily kicking long, it's win kicking to, to win the ball back. But fascinated to see what you would think, Sammy. Or do you, do you continue trying to go with one four straight? Let's go five. Oh, I think I'd like to change things up slightly for Japan, no doubt. Um, and it would be O'Connor for me. I, I think, you know, somewhere in there, I still think he is seen as the, at this stage, the number one candidate to wear that 10 jersey um, in uh, in France in, in 2023. Um, as you mentioned there, just hasn't quite hit the ground running as he's come off the bench in these last couple of weeks. Although there was a couple of moments there in, uh, in Townsville as the game started to break up um, and you've also, you know, you've got to give him some time in the saddle, I think, alongside uh, Nick White. Um, we know that he's played outside Tate McDermott the last couple of years and that combination is really starting to hum there at the Reds. Um, so is this an opportunity to, you know, you throw throw him in there with Tate to ease things back in and perhaps bring Nick White off the bench or... Yeah, we even go Tate 9, 10 O'Connor, 12 Paisami because it looks like Samu will be missing that for that that Japanese match. So, so, so for me, that, that that's probably the way to go. Um, as you say, you absolutely want to keep the momentum. And, and Japan, you know, they're they're not a team to be taken lightly. Now they played the, the Lions before they went off to South Africa um, up there at Murray Field and were, were hardly disgraced. I think it was about twenty nine ten or something, and and enjoyed some real you know quality patches of play. Now we know it's not going to be an overly physical contest like the ones the Wallabies have come off against the Springboks. Um, they'll play you know a very open and and quick ruck style of game where they'll look to move the ball around. So the Wallabies have got to be ready for that. Um, but, uh, mate, yeah, look, it's, it's, I think it's a great game to have on the schedule, and I'm glad they've got it over the line. Um, it just, uh, you know, it, it gives them that. Otherwise, it would have been sort of, you know, best part of five weeks there between yeah. um, test on the weekend and that first one in, in Scotland against, uh, sorry, against Scotland at Murrayfield, which, which is going to be tricky. You know, the Scots have given the Wallabies plenty of problems over the last few years. Um, victories um, down here in Sydney and, and that, that big, you know, that absolute flogging was um, at the end of uh, 2017, which was Sean McMahon's last game before the weekend. And um, off the back of a, a Sikoki Kepu red card, I think, midway through. Correct, uh, coming off his feet, shoulder at the clean-out. So, yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm glad it's on the on the schedule, um, the Japanese game. Um, great viewing for, for us here in Australia before we have to get up in the middle of the night um, for those three games up north. And you know, I guess it um, an opportunity to give a few guys a, a chance. But as you say, you know, it's imperative that they they make it a, a fifth win on the trot um, and really set up the, the remainder of the spring tour where we're going to get a look at, you know, probably a couple of the problem positions that remain in this Wallaby squad um, at lock and hooker. Um, and by all reports, it's looking like certainly Will Skelton, um, Rory Arnold and, and Tolu Lado are the guys we keep hearing are going to come in um, and be given a chance uh, in in Europe. Now, I don't know whether you, you know, you're hearing anything different. Is there anyone else that might be considered? But um, it's still, they're still the problem areas for the Wallabies. I think Falao Fainga has probably moved clear as the, the first choice hooker at this point. But, um, you know, as to who's behind him, we know Brandon Painger Ramos is going offshore after the spring tour, hasn't played for a few weeks. Um, Lockie Lonigan um, has come in thereabouts. Uh, Fleti Kaya too. Um, a couple of games off the bench there through the rugby championship. Um, had some good moments, some not so good moments with his line out throwing. So, yeah, it's they're the two big ones. And um, it's going to be intriguing, certainly 
you know, you know we were on this podcast earlier in the year and I'm a big Will Skelton fan. I've been wanting to see, you know, him get a crack. We we don't know until he's actually out there playing whether he, you know, he's going to be the same player that he appears to have been first for Saracens and, and now for La Rochelle over there in, in Europe. Whether he can replicate that at test level, we just don't know because we haven't seen him play since 2017. So, so that's probably the thing I'm really looking forward to um, over, come through the, the tests in, in November. Yeah, I think it's the most exciting spring tour probably since um, probably since 2016 where I think there was, you know, the Wallabies really needed to bounce back. It was the first time since the World Cup. But, but even perhaps even since 2013 when Ewan McKenzie brought uh, a, a side up there and it was quite an exciting side as a new coach it was you know an, an expectation that they'd continue to improve with guys like Bernard Foley and uh, Kurtley Bill still around um, I, I was told that there might be up to four players from overseas that were included um, I also believe and, and I've reported on this previously that Harry Wilson will probably get um, you know be left behind us still think that will occur. I, th- I think Fraser McWright might well stay behind too. I know that they had a conversation last week, this is Fraser with Dave Rennie, um, where it was posed the question, well, is it in my benefit really to come? Like, yes, I might get a spring two under my belt, learn a little bit more about what happens up in the, as we're talking about with Noah Lolasio, to understand what it's like to be at these hallowed grounds. Fortress is really in the, in the rugby world, but will I just be a tackle bag? And that, I think, is more likely to occur. So I think it's in Fraser's court as much as anyone's as to whether or not he wants to go on that or actually have the time off to recharge the batteries, but as well get flogged. Um, as late as last week, that wasn't across the line. But Lockie Lonigan is another, I think, who's in that category too, where, you know, let's, let's be serious, he's probably not big enough to be an international cooker at this stage. Uh, got a good running game, has, you know, he's, he's reasonable around the set piece, but he's small at the moment. And a preseason would really benefit him uh, going forward. And we know that the hooker position is a, an area they're very, very light on and lean on with, you know, not too many options. Dave Brecky, from my understanding, was really thought of as a bloke who could go up there. He spent a longer time, a lot of time in the English Premiership and commanded the number two jersey, played alongside Petrick Stuplessy, the, the scrum coach, the Wallabies now. So I think he was really in the frame, but I don't think his injury is going to allow him to, to, to come back in time. Um, Politi Kaitutu, I think, will, will go on that tour. He looks like a player of promise. Um, but it allows for you to have a third hooker, perhaps being Tolo Latu, which allows him to come back in for selectors to see what he's like. And that's really the benefit of having these couple of second rowers. But the, the real benefit of if you leave behind a Wilson or a Jack Dem, uh, sorry, a, a Fraser McRide is if something goes wrong and there's an injury, you can call up a Jack Dempsey, who we know is test uh, quality. He's gone to a World Cup was probably a bigger blow than, uh, although it is a position of strength at the moment, I, I thought he was an excellent candidate to bring off the bench, always for the Wallabies, a little bit like Pete Samu. Um, so there, there are options out there, you know, even the Tankelli, Naya Voros or the, or the Luke Morahans. There are players there that could be brought in if there is an injury. It's obviously not particularly easy just to fly someone across the other side of the world at the moment. 
Absolutely. Um, now, just while we're on that uh, report out of the Herald today, um, quoting Phil War, who's uh, is working on the, the Guido Law alongside um, Daniel Herbert and, and, and Hamish McLennan there, um, in terms of what this new framework might look like and might look like, sorry, uh, and more around capping the absolute the actual number of players that can be brought in um, each year, rather than I guess looking at changing the the, th the threshold. Uh, as we anticipated it might be, which might still happen. But um, I, I guess, you know, it's, it's looking like it, it might finish somewhere around the, the three to five players can be selected for, uh, whether you say a, a series. So, okay, you can have three for France and three for rugby championship and, I don't know, three or five in for the spring tour if we find ourselves in, God forbid, you know, the depths of the pandemic still this time next year. And um, it, it's it's a move that we, we know... As, uh, we've seen the benefits of this year clearly already with, with Cooper and, and Karevi um, at the top of that list. And, and we're going to get an insight into to Skelton and, and Arnold and perhaps Lardo as well over the coming weeks, as we mentioned. Um, but uh, it all harks back to having the best available Wallabies team to, you know, I guess, play every test within reason because we've got to keep um, Super Rugby as what will be Super Rugby Pacific next year. And we've got the five teams here in Australia now and the five teams are here to stay. Um so it, it's it's been a process, um, no doubt, getting to this. But um, do you like the sounds of that, Christy? That rather than I, I guess putting the, the threshold on it, that you um, you place just a number for Dave Rennie and his fellow Wallabies selectors to say, right, you can have three, four, five, perhaps six, if you know, um, if it's required. Uh, do you have a number in mind? Uh, what do you what do you think on on that news out of the Herald this morning? I really think it told you nothing. Um, I think I told you everything you already know, to be frankly honest. The Rugby Australia would be, um, I don't think they would be particularly wise to have a clear number. And that's what we've heard. We've heard from Hamish McLennan. Um, you know, Sam Phillips and I have both spoken to him at times and he probably scaled what he was thinking back a little bit after a fair bit of backlash and maybe the board not being so aligned about what the thinking was. But what I get from that is they still... Uh, well, we need to, we, we can't have the, you know, we can't open it. We can't have a massive player train. We can't allow no. for that possibility. Yes, we're going to continue to have a, a new voice, a Phil War or a Daniel Herbert to speak to the media at one particular time to go, yes, there is a criteria. Well, let's be honest, you know, they didn't lock themselves into anything there. Um, it's still not explained particularly well. Um, you know, putting terms out there like high performance, whatever else, it, at the end of the day, they are going to pick players when they need to, when it's sort of uh, an area where they're lacking either depth or quality. And at the moment, we're seeing that in particular areas, and that's probably at 12 with some of Karevi. We've got to remember that Quade Cooper already was eligible under the, yep. the you know, law. So they only actually really used, yes, Sean McMahon, but he was played for one match and came off the bench. They really only used Samu Karebi um, in this particular occasion. Duncan Payao wasn't looked at. I never thought he would be because I don't think he's an international player at this moment. But is it is it an opportunity to continue to try to encourage some of those fringe players back? Yes, yes, it was. And um, fair play for them to bring that one in there at the time. Um so that, that's how I read it. I don't think there's anything uh, groundbreaking from that story other than the fact that it's a new voice, a voice that we hadn't heard in a little while, a board member being Phil War, who is respected particularly within the New South Wales um, frame. 
Absolutely, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, it's very much remains a, a watch this space, but one certainly uh, everyone's intrigued in because we've, as you've seen with uh, with Cooper, uh, as you mentioned, who who's beyond that 70 test threshold because we remember we were talking about how a guy who uh, played 70 tests for the Wallabies couldn't have citizenship, which uh, has all been sorted now. Uh, in uh, recent months and off the back of that, uh, that performance on the Gold Coast. Coincidentally, uh, Christy, before we wrap up today, uh, your story on on centralisation. Now, this has been, um, I guess, whatever you want to call it, an issue, a problem, um, something Australia, Rugby Australia has been trying to work towards for a while. And I actually put this question to Cameron Klein um, at uh, the press conference where he announced that Scott Johnson would be coming back as director of rugby and um, Michael Checker would be, uh, the reins would be going on Michael Checker uh, as much as they ever can be, um, saying, well, why has it taken this long to to get to this, you know, this setup where um, we will have a centralised system like they do in New Zealand and everything feeds in um, to the Rugby Australia plan? And, um, you know, you the, the reference you used in, in your story was, was Jordan Pattaya. Um, clearly, the Wallabies see him as a fullback option, but at the Queensland Reds, he's not getting the the opportunity to play there because they've, um, you know, Brad Thorne thinks he's got a pretty good option there with with Jock Campbell. Now that might change next year. Also, they had um, Bryce Hegarty there as well, um, clearly um, playing a role there. Um, that might shift next year. Um, where is it, mate? Is it, um, you know, it's, it's challenging because there has been a lot of, uh, I guess, hatred's not too strong a word, particularly between New South Wales and Queensland rugby over the years. Um, you throw in the the Brumbies now, and my story this year, the the Brumbies almost pinched a chunk of New South Wales rugby territory. There, it's they hardly, you know, um, setups where um, the the teams are prepared to work together. We know the force are owned by Twiggy Forest; they've got their own agenda. Um, what gives you confidence, mate? I guess that um, Hamish McLennan can can get this over the line uh, this time around. Um, and do you think it's going to happen? Yeah, I didn't think it'll happen because the states uh, are now aligned to thinking of that things have got to change and um, the super rugby sides have struggled for a long, long while commercially too. From my understanding, I received a text yesterday or sorry, on, on uh, Monday afternoon and that really pointed the, the finger at Roger Davis for, for not allowing what centralisation could have occurred a couple of years ago. Um, but I think there is much more trust there's a belief that Hamish McLennan's a mover and shaker that he gets things done. And we've seen that. Um, and, and he's got runs on the board previously with, with channel 10, with the big bash. And, and some of the things that are being discussed at the moment, and I'll use the word draft, but there is a belief that there needs to be a bit more excitement, um, but also thought around where players, fringe players, guys that might not be getting opportunities um, where you might warehouse a player because you've got the starting Wallaby nine there and then you might have another good nine. But what happens to the really young, promising, exciting 18, 19, 20-year-old who doesn't get any opportunities? And we saw that actually with Isaac Fines, I think, this year at the Brumbies. You know, Dean McCullough was assured enough to put him on the wing because he's got phenomenal footwork but he's yep. ended up taking a, a uh, going backward to the Western Force because he wasn't going to get opportunities there with Ryan Lonigan too uh, with Nick White there wearing the nine jersey predominantly so there there will be a few more things what what one super rugby official told what actually it will come on this so-called draft um, but 
there is a inherent belief, there's an understanding that things need to change, that there needs to be greater alignment. And that when the Wallabies are doing well, that's a very good thing for Australian rugby. So it is a really important stepping stone, I think. Um, there needs to be greater trust in what Rugby Australia is doing. Um, there hasn't always been in the past. And there's also got to be an idea that we look, uh, we've seen in New Zealand rugby that this centralisation is working. One, you know, the sceptics out there will go, well, why are we accepting that what the Wallabies and Rugby Australia are doing is the correct process or the best process? Well, I think there just needs to be a bit of belief there because New Zealand rugby do it, Ireland do it, and New Zealand have been the best team in a long, long, long while. So um, I think it's a, a good step in the right direction, which we'll see more come to fruition over the next, in the coming months. What role has Dave Rennie, do you think, played in this moment? We know he went around all the, the Super Rugby, Aussie Super Rugby franchises through through the season this year, spending a week with each. Um, I guess just laying the, the groundwork and getting around to talk to players and um, talk to coaches and, and clearly, you know, each Brad Thorne um, and the other coaches, uh, Dan McKellar and um, the other guys uh, around the, the, the Super Rugby, Aussie Super Rugby franchises have their own agenda and that's to win, to win a competition. Um, but just being boots on the ground and, and I guess being a sounding board and sharing ideas and I think he even ran a couple of sessions here and there around the place. Um, does that all feed into, you know, I guess the improving of the relationships around the place and that, you know, that they collectively, the, uh, the goal is together is to have the best Wallabies team possible? Yeah, I think so. And I think with COVID, it allowed for people to go, well, we need to get on the same page because otherwise we're just going to, run to ground we're not going to have enough money and we're going to lose our best players overseas which obviously can't happen um, for Australian rugby to be successful I think with Dave Rennie there's a great trust from Rugby Australia that Dave Rennie is a not only a safe pair of hands but he's an astute pair of hands too and he's a smart man um, he's clearly come through the New Zealand setup where centralization was occurring underneath him already um, Hamish McLean has got a lot of respect for him um, they're on the same page. And, and I think that now that he's in his second year, there's a greater understanding and belief that he is the right man for the job in the world we set up. These four victories reinforce that belief, absolutely. Um, but you know, that, that's one of the reasons why I think Scott Johnson was certainly kept in that position that he's in at the moment is because for a first, second year coach to be going through what he's been going through with COVID, isn't isn't easy uh and there's also an understanding that chris webb the manager of the side is extremely talented um and, and he's a proven operator over a couple of decades of uh sports administration so chris webb's um position and role within rugby australia in particular the wallaby setup has been a really crucial fundamental one for him yeah black has been the waratahs the force and even popped up the Sunwolves there for a period as well. Uh, Christy, mate, uh, great chatting with you again. Um, obviously, uh, a little bit sad now. We don't have rugby for a, for a few weeks' time, but I'm also excited about what lies ahead. Uh, mate, thanks for your time through the Rugby Championship, and we'll uh, we'll pick it up again um, post-Oyeda uh, and, and see if the Wallabies have managed to, to string uh, five wins together and uh, perhaps, um, you know, a couple of guys we haven't seen making their mark on the season uh, as, as we go ahead.